Many of you will know that I'm uh, quite a keen cyclist and I recently enjoyed a week cycling in Germany. And I've been told this story about another keen cyclist and I'm assured it's true. Um, but the story goes of um, a friend of mine went to visit his local bicycle shop and was talking to the owner there who he'd known for many, many years, uh, chatted around a number of things. And then the owner told him about a customer who came in every year, uh, a man who came in and wanted the latest bike with all the latest uh, trappings and technology on it, whether it was uh, carbon wheels or uh, disc brakes or even electronic brakes. He wanted to have the best, all that had been developed in that year, he wanted to have. And the owner was quite happy with this because obviously it was income uh, for him and the shop. Um, but there was one rather strange request that this gentleman made each year, and it was quite particular. The bike had to be painted in a very specific colour scheme, and it was the same colour scheme every year. And, of course, the owner complied with this, uh, but after a while he felt he knew him well enough, uh, as this had been going on for a number of years, to say, could you tell me why you want this particular specific colour scheme. Uh, and the gentleman replied, well, you see, my wife doesn't know a lot about bikes, but she knows which colour the one I've got is. Uh, maybe his obsession uh, with cycling and his bike had gone a little bit too far. Uh, this morning, we're continuing in our series, Beyond the Law, and we're thinking specifically about making God visible. And we start in the Old Testament with the second commandment and the admonition, admonition to the people of Israel not to have, make or worship any form of idol. Given that the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before or besides me, is quite explicit, we might wonder why the need for this to be followed by further detail in the second commandment relating to the worship of idols or man-made images. We need, of course, to understand the prevailing culture of the time where people needed some kind of focus for their worship, be it the sun, moon, stars, or some kind of created image representing a spirit being. The people of Israel, of course, were to be the representation of God to the world by following God's laws, by being faithful to him. They would stand out as a people who, in a sense, embodies as much as any human being can, the living God. It was through them that God would be made visible. We know, however, that they weren't satisfied with this. And even whilst Moses was on Mount Sinai, getting all the fine detail of the law and how God's people were to live, they approached Aaron with a request that they should make us a God who will go before us. And what follows is the creation of an idol, the golden calf, and their worship of it in direct contravention of God's command. And we only have to read through the Old Testament to see the susceptibility of Israel to idolatry again and again. And it was clearly a continuing problem in Jesus' time and for the early church. Amongst the many references and warnings in the New Testament, perhaps the most direct is John's conclusion to his first letter 
the very last verse where he simply states, dear children, keep yourself from idols. And the same challenge, albeit with a different emphasis, exists for us today. There's a temptation to allow other things to become idols in our lives. So what is an idol? What do we mean by that? There are so many, and they are often so subtle that it becomes difficult to define. I found the following from J. John in his book, The Ten Commandments, really helpful. He suggests that a Christian could make the following statements about God, and there they are. God gives purpose, meaning, and fulfillment to my life. God governs the way I act. God is the focal point around which my existence hangs. God is often in my thoughts, and I get enthusiastic about God. Thoughts of God comfort me when I'm down. I read about God. I talk about God. I make friends with those who are also committed to God. I desire more of God. Idolatry, then, is where anything takes the place of God. Anything that you could replace the word God with in these statements. For example... I read about cycling, I talk about cycling, I make friends with those who are also committed to cycling. I hope and pray that that isn't the case for me, certainly not to putting cycling before God. But I wonder which you could add, which... The shirt you're wearing does well. <laughs> the shirt does give it away, doesn't it? I put my cycling shirt on today, which I'd like to point out was actually bought in Varanasi in India when I um, visit uh, our friends in northern India. But uh, I wonder which you could add, which might give you pause for thought. If we let things or attitudes, idols even, assume too great a role or importance in our lives, then that can only diminish our discipleship. Why is it that such an issue... Why is that such an issue? Well, as we turn to our passage in Matthew's Gospel part of the Sermon on the Mount, we see that we're not given a choice about whether we want to be salt and or light. No, it says quite clearly, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. If we profess Christ as Lord of our lives, then our lives will bear witness to the fact. John White wrote in his book, The Fight, you are witnesses whether you want to be one or not, either you're a good one or a poor one. So let's look at each of those statements. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Firstly, you are the salt of the earth. The you in verse 13 and repeated again in verse 14 is emphatic. It is you, my followers, and no others who are the salt of the earth. You and I are included in that. So what are the characteristics of salt that cause Jesus to use it in this context? Well, there are a number. Salt was used in Jesus' time, as it is today, to flavour foods and in small doses as a fertiliser. We get the word salary from an ancient word meaning salt money, referring to a Roman soldier's allowance for the purchase of salt. And someone who earns his pay is still said to be worth his salt. However, the most common use, and what makes the most sense here, is its use as a preservative. Jesus' listeners would have understood this. Rubbing a little salt into meat would slow decay. 
the fishermen amongst his disciples, without the benefit of refrigeration, would have packed their catch in salt to avoid it spoiling. When Jesus calls us the salt of the earth, he calls us, his disciples, to act as a preservative, to try and stop the moral decay of a sinful world. The spiritual health and strength of the Christian is to counteract the corruption that's in the world. Christians as salt are to inhibit the power of sin to corrupt and destroy lives. And in doing so, create opportunities for the light of Christ to shine, for the gospel to be proclaimed and for people to come to faith. That's the vision behind Youth Church, and we're going to see a video about that later on in our service. The vision statement, to reach young people across Southampton, to raise them up as followers of Jesus, and to release them as influencers of culture. To be salt, to be influencers of, and not influenced by their surrounding culture. As well as the thrill of seeing nine young people become followers of Jesus last weekend at Youth Fest, the speaker on Saturday asked those who wanted to stand up for Jesus, who wanted to be front and center in living for him, to stand up. It was overwhelming and honestly quite emotional to see almost the whole room on their feet. Please pray, as I know many and many of you do, for our young people that they might indeed be influence of culture and that they would stand front and centre. Just as salt needs to be rubbed into the meat or packed around the fish, we cannot influence the world unless we're engaged with it. How we choose to do that is going to vary from person to person, but not to do so is not on the table as an option. I wonder in what way you are able to be salt how do you engage with the world? To not engage and to choose not to be sought is to be what John Stock calls a rabbit hole Christian who remains insulated and isolated from the world. And if we're to be sought, we have to get out of the salt shaker to coin the title of a well-known book which was first published when I arrived in Southampton as a student many years ago. Apparently, salt cannot really lose its saltiness, but it can become so diluted as to be next to useless or contaminated so it becomes corrosive and poisonous. It is then good for nothing and is thrown out. If our lives lose their focus on Christ, if we allow other things, idols, to assume greater importance to us, we risk losing our saltiness and distinctiveness and then what use are we in advancing God's kingdom? As the salt of the earth, we are to counteract the power of sin and evil. And Jesus tells us that we're also the light of the world. And as such, we're to highlight things and to make them known. In Philippians 2 verse 15, the Apostle Paul tells us that we are to shine as lights in the world. And the Greek word used here is very similar to the word for a be the beacon that a lighthouse emits. That beacon's bright and very clear. It warns of danger. It shows the way to safe harbour and provides hope for those who may have lost hope. We're surrounded by people who are groping around in the darkness, separated from the God who loves them. And it's our job to be their lighthouse. 
to warn them of danger, to show them that there's a way to safety and security and to a lasting hope in the one who is the light of the world. Our lives are to be a living example of Christ's presence and by the power of his Holy Spirit at work within us, we make him known and we make him visible. When we worship our Heavenly Father, when we love as Jesus loved and meet the needs of others, then we do shine as lights. Not because there's something special about us, but simply because we are reflections, often poor reflections, of Jesus, the light of the world. Uh, now, I understand that every lighthouse is unique in the sense that it emits a distinctive series of flashes known as its characteristic which allows ships to know exactly where they are in the world. In the same way, we're all different. And the way in which your light shines will be different to mine. That's not an excuse for complacency, but simply a recognition of our own uniqueness in God's creation, and therefore our opportunity to shine for him in our own unique way. I wonder what your particular characteristic is. What is, is it about you that can be a light for others? Lighthouses have a powerful central magnifying lens that projects an intense beam of light that's apparently visible up to 28 miles away. You can't hide a lighthouse, nor could you hide a city built on a hill. They were often built of white limestone, so a gleam in the sun and at night the lights of the inhabitants meant that it would have a visible glow. I wonder how visible you feel that your light, your glow, is. The role of the Christian as salt and light in the world can be hindered, diluted or even prevented when we choose to compromise or settle for that which is more convenient or comfortable, rather than that which is best and pleasing to God. It's when we let other things take God's place in our priorities when we let them become our idols. Being salt and light is something that follows naturally from following Jesus' teaching and leading a spirit-led life of genuine discipleship. It's when we fail to do that that the distinctions between ourselves and the rest of the world become blurred and our testimony is hindered. Only by remaining focused on Christ and of being obedient to him, can we expect to remain salt and light in the world? Consider where our passage comes in the Sermon on the Mount. It's straight after the Beatitudes, the Blesseds. Blessed means made happy by God. And it is as if Jesus is saying life with him is one of deep joy. And here are the marks, the qualities, the characteristics of those whose lives are fully surrendered to the king. Our passage on salt and light follows immediately after the Beatitudes. If we're living lives that are fully surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, we will be salt and we will be light. Our whole lives, empowered by the Holy Spirit, will act as a signpost to Jesus, our Saviour, such that people will see our good deeds and glorify our Heavenly Father. I want to end <clears throat> by reading to you an excerpt from a sermon preached by Martin Luther King at Ebenezer Baptist Church on the 4th of February, 1968. That was two months before he was assassinated. It was also played at his funeral. He said this, 
and it's quite long, so please bear with me. Every now and then, I guess we all think realistically about that day when we will be victimised with what is life's final common denominator, that something we call death. We all think about it, and every now and then I think about my own death, and I think about my own funeral. And I don't think of it in a morbid sense. Every now and then I ask myself, what is it that I would want said? And I leave the word to you this morning. If any of you are around <clears throat> when I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. Every now and then, I wonder what I want them to say. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or 400 other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention the day, that day that Martin Luther King tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King tried to love somebody. I want you to say that day that I tried to be right on the war question. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. And I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life to clothe those who were naked. I want you to say on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Yes, if you want to say that I was a drum major, say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness. And all of the other shallow things will not matter. I won't have any money to leave behind. I won't have the fine and luxurious things of life to leave behind. I just want to leave a committed life behind. And that's all I want to say. If I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word or song, if I can show somebody he's traveling wrong, then my living will not be in vain. If I can do my duty as a Christian ought, if I can bring salvation to a world overwrought, if I can spread the message as the master taught, then my living will not be in vain. So it's not so much about trying really hard to be salt and light, but much more about our faithful walk day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year with the one we follow, Jesus, who gave his all for us. Then, as Jesus says, we will be salt, we will be light, and we cannot help but make God visible. Amen. Thank you.